This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam. I'm your host, and we are here helping take your leadership to the next level. Richard. Good to be with you, Sam. Hello again. Um, this is sort of a milestone. Sort uh, of. Sort of. I mean, it, it is. It is. I'll, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll do away with uh, non-committal speech here. This is a, a, a big milestone for you personally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I think maybe it was... One of the very first podcasts, I think, that we did, mm-hmm. um, you had uh, said on air that you wanted to run a 10K. Yeah. And uh, just recently, um, low these many months later, <laughs> uh, you did it. I did it. I you just got it by yourself, no less. Not, yeah. not in a race. Yeah. Uh, well, it would have been a race. It was yeah. uh, July 4th. And uh, of course, in Atlanta, there's the big Peachtree Road Race. That I think it's the, the biggest. Uh, 10k in North America. In North America, there's I like think, yeah, it's they, huge. they cut it off at seventy thousand. Like you, you, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you. But as you the, can imagine, in this climate, uh, seventy thousand runners in crammed July, into the streets yeah. of uh, Atlanta is is uh, is a no go for COVID. Yeah. So I, I just decided to go out for a run uh, that morning. It was a Saturday morning, and uh, and I had done a, a week or so earlier. I'd made it up to five miles, and so. And that really pushed me. But uh, I just thought, you know, th- this would have been a day I could have been in, in my first 10K. Let me just go for it. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty rough there near the end. But uh, I'll tell well, you, you what. you got so many hills in your neighborhood, too. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I just uh, out to the listeners um, this morning, uh, it, there is something so uh, rewarding about setting a, a stretch goal. One that you, you got to work hard. And this to was make. a stretch. I mean, this this has been like, you know, I, I say months, but it's actually been a couple of years since you've sort yeah, of had two years. Maybe. Had say, I want to do this because even in, as early as January this year, like I could not run five k without like stopping, and yeah. uh, so to go from that to ten k all the way with some hills, uh, I'm real proud of that. But um, but what it said to me is. You know, I think I think just people in general. I think anyone listening to a podcast like this is someone that wants to better themselves. And I just think there should you should always have some kind of goal, uh, yeah. something that you're shooting for, so you don't just stay the same and get complacent. And it, it yeah. makes you work and push. You know, because like running, you after like one mile, I'm already starting to feel the pain and. And uh, you got to just self-talk yourself to say, but like, I'll never hit that 10K if I don't keep on going. And yeah. um, so felt really, really good. I guess uh, now my really stretch goal, the, and I'm quitting after this, is uh, <laughs> a half marathon, and which is yeah. more than double 10K. So, But I, you know, I would say once you get into 10K, once you hit six miles, um, it's really just a matter of, of adding a adding the miles at the end of that because there is a there is a bit of a hump there that you get over about the three four mile mark and you know if you have a a stable pace then it really it may seem uh impossible but it's really just (laughs) it's really just uh, (laughs) it's really just adding a few miles each time and before you know it you're at 10 miles and 11 12 13 
And uh, well, I'm, I'm going to go for it, but yeah. don't uh, don't hold me to any time like next week kind of thing. But yeah, uh, well, we'll, we'll in a couple of years we'll circle back <laughs> and see how things are going. It's funny actually, though, and you've seen this. Marathon runners tend to be older. Like you, you yeah. think they'd all be teenagers and in their twenties, but uh, typically those longer distance guys, it takes a while, and it's takes and it's some, well, and it's 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 mental fortitude more than anything, you yeah. know. And I know everybody says that. Oh, it's you know, it's all mental, but. I mean, honestly, it is because you you can your body can push a few more miles. I mean, as long as you're not sprinting, yeah. um, you you have the c- capacity to do that. It's just the will to keep to keep going, and and that's I think it makes sense if it's normally older uh, individuals who are who are doing really successful uh, runs in in the longer distances. So you know, you just Sometimes it takes it takes a while to, to build up that uh, so just gumption, I guess, or grit. So uh, I'm happy for now to keep you know to solidify my 10k, and yeah. I, I do want to run a, a, a an official 10k because I really want the medal. You know, I well, want, I, I need the. I, I, otherwise, I, I, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, I want the bling, you know, on my wall. <laughs> you need the accolades. Otherwise, you didn't do it. That's right. Um, well, uh, with that out of the way, uh, well, one other thing we'll mention before we get started today. Uh, is we are still doing, probably through the rest of the summer, we're going to be doing uh, these Tuesday morning devotionals that mm-hmm. are live with you. And we've we've now expanded that to include YouTube Live. Mm-hmm. So it's live on YouTube and on Facebook. And these are about 30-minute devotionals, and we have a Q&A at the end. Mm-hmm. People can write in their questions in the chat. And it's just been, uh, it's been really great to see people come around from, from all over the world, really, yeah. and, and tuning in. Uh, each Tuesday at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, and uh, we'd love to have you guys uh, hop on there when you can. Yeah, and, it's, uh, it's just like I sit down and have a Bible study with uh, yeah. friends for 30 minutes, and you're welcome to join the Bible study. And of course, if if you can't catch it live, if you're at work or something, it's it's list it's there on Facebook and our on my site and on the Blackview Ministry site, so you can always watch it when yeah. you, it's convenient. Yeah. But so, just wanted to to let our listeners know that that's there as well, and just uh, another way to connect with us and. Yeah. And uh, keep up with all the things that are happening around here. And with that, uh, we're going to do a leadership book review. Yeah, uh, we haven't, haven't done, done one for a while. Yeah, it's, it's been a minute. And uh, so what, what do you have for us today, Richard? Well, I was wanting us, I, I, right when uh, COVID was hitting back in March, uh, I, I had a friend, uh, actually my cousin, that recommended uh, a book by Todd Bolsinger called uh, Canoeing the Mountains. And uh, that kind of intrigued me. And so I, I read it uh, just recently, and, and I, I really enjoyed it, I, and I felt like it was a very helpful uh, contribution to all leaders, but particularly church leaders is where his main focus is. Uh, Bolsinger was uh, on staff at uh, Hollywood Presbyterian Church for uh, 10 years or so, and then was uh, also the senior pastor at San Clemente Presbyterian Church for 17 years. Now he's uh, vice president at Fuller Seminary out in California. Um, but he bases his book on the, uh, the journey of uh, uh, Lewis and Clark when uh, in the 1800s. Uh, they actually, May 14th, uh, 1804, uh, they set out with their uh, party. And there was a, like we, now this seems so foreign to us, but at that time in, in 1804, 
they didn't even, no white person at least had ever gone all the way across the continent. Like they, they knew that the Pacific Ocean was over there somewhere. They weren't sure what all lay in between. Yeah. And and there, at that time, and, and now that again, this is, seems so strange to us, but uh, but the British had forts and uh, posts throughout North America. The French owned Louisiana and a bunch of that territory. The Spanish uh, owned a bunch of uh, North America as well, and 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 uh, they all had a vested interest in holding on to what they had, and yeah. and they didn't want the Americans to necessarily take over all that uh, frontier. So uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson, when he was president, uh, decided that he wanted to send out an exploration team to figure out how to get to the what, what was the best route, and and basically Europeans had been uh, trying to find a north, they called it a northwest passage or a western passage to uh, the Orient. Uh, and it's, it's funny, in fact, he, he says at the end, uh, Bolsinger says, an uh, interesting comment, he says, for 300 years, Europeans were trying to figure out how to get around North America so they could get to the Orient. And after about 300 years, it began to dawn on them that, what they had discovered in North America might be more important than what they'd been looking for. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. so for 300 years, they're trying to get around North America to get to, to China and to that part of the world. Um, and so there, the, the point that uh, Bolsinger makes that I think is really interesting is that he says that, um, so they, they assume that they can canoe all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And so, I mean, they get past the Appalachian Mountains and so on, and then they settle into the river and they they start paddling west. And and for about 15 months, that plan's working. They're ma- they're making progress ever farther west, and uh, it all their equipment, all their training, all their supplies, all their plans uh, centers on canoeing all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And then one day they come around a corner and they run smack dab into the Rocky Mountains. The, now they suspected, they, they, what they sort of thought was that the west side of the U.S. was pretty well identical, mirror image of the east side. So they thought there might be some kind of mountains, but they assumed they'd be like the Appalachian Mountains, which yeah. were not that difficult to get through. They'd never, you know, they'd never dreamed of things as big and imposing as the Rocky Mountains. And, um, and so Bolzinger says at that point, what they realized is they, they really had one of three choices. They could either say, oh my goodness, we can't get through that. We didn't, that wasn't on the map. Um, let's quit. Let's go back home. I guess it won't work. Or, uh, or perhaps even more foolishly, they could say, well, look, paddling canoes has gotten us this far. Why give up something that's been so successful? You know, let's just keep on paddling our canoe up the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> and, and Bolzinger's, one of his main points is what the methods that has gotten you this far won't take you farther. And, of course, a huge leadership lesson for so many is we're, we're very reluctant to discard methodology that has been successful in the past. Yeah. But his whole point is but the but what lies ahead your your it your old methods aren't going to work for that. And so the third decision that they had to make, which obviously is the one they ultimately took, 
was what he calls adapting. They had to adapt to their new circumstance and to discard anything that wouldn't work in that environment. And so they basically have to get out of their boats. They get some uh, guides to help them get through the Rockies. Uh, they, they get pack mules and horses, whatever they need. And they adapt and they make it uh, and, and ultimately are the first to get all the way across the continent. And so uh, what Bolzinger says is that, especially for the church, and I, and I would broaden it out to say most leadership today, but uh, certainly in the church, he says, uh, in the past, the environment in which we led churches was that um, you, you basically found a building, you put out a sign, uh, we lived in a, a pretty favorable Christian culture that if people weren't maybe genuine Christians, they were at least favorable to it. They thought it was a good thing. They thought church was a good thing. The Bible was a good thing. Uh, but he says, now we live in a post-Christian culture, society, where actually people are suspicious of the church. They see it as not having any relevance. They certainly don't see any reason why they should give up a good Sunday morning uh, to go to church. And so um, he says, you, you can't, if you keep leading the way that worked in the 50s, you're, you're going to just be doomed to failure. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think now more than ever, um, especially with, with COVID and, and these challenges that no one has ever faced before, not holding, you know, prior methodology in, in sort of a sacred light uh, is, is almost going to be critical yeah. to, to your success in the future. Well, you know, what he says, I think that he has some really good points. One is that mission is the key. He says mission trumps everything else. But what I found, especially again in the church, is that we often become wedded to our methods and, yeah. and we neglect our mission. And so you have, and I've been uh, working with churches even in the last few months that have had certain methods that have given some success in the past and they just cannot, they're, they're, they'll go through a church split uh, before they'll give up a method that's no longer fruitful. And uh, I would say, you know what, the church did not, I mean, Christ did not put the church together so that we would always sing hymns or always sit in pews or always have an evening and a, and a morning church service. Th those are all methods. Those, those yeah. are, that's not the mission. Uh, we don't exist to sing a certain kind of music. Uh, those are just tools of the church. But we, but all of our discussion, all of our focus, our fighting so, so many times is on methods instead of the mission. And so he would, so his point was the, the, the mission for Lewis and Clark was to get to the West Coast. It wasn't to canoe there. Uh, right. and the moment that canoes, their method wasn't going to work anymore. They tossed the method. They just said, this isn't working. Let's move on. Uh, and if churches are going to, and so what he says is that, right. And, and this seems a little high, but, but he, he cites, uh, and says around 1500 pastors are leaving the ministry every month in America right now. Wow. And he says, a lot of those are saying, uh, I, I just don't, I don't have the tools. Uh, I, I wasn't trained for this. They'll, often they'll say seminary didn't train me, uh, for this, for this kind of culture, these kind of problems. And, uh, and I've, I've often said that, uh, uh, the problem, well, one, one of the problems is, is certainly for the church that, and I, and I mean, I, I led a seminary for 13 years, so I believe in seminaries. I think if you're going to be a pastor, you ought to get some training. 
But um, the problem is that um, in the past, when you went to seminary, you were trained to, to, to preach sermons, uh, to do pastoral ministry in the hospital or performing a wedding or something like that. And, and, and you just assume people would come and they would just respect, they'd want to hear your sermons and so on, your Bible studies. Uh, but when all of a sudden people in the community don't really care what your sermon series is yeah. now. And you, you list it out there in the church sign. We're doing a six-week uh, study on the book of Habakkuk, and, uh, and nobody is coming to hear that. And yeah. it seems thrilled about it. Uh, it's like, well, what do we do? I mean, I, I was just taught, you know, my, and, and, and part of the problem is that uh, most of your professors at seminary, maybe godly men who love the, and women love the Word of God, but most of them aren't leaders, and most of them have never successfully led a church. Uh, yeah. But they're teaching you how to supposedly how to lead, even though they've never done it themselves. And so, if you've got a preaching professor, he's going to tell you, you just if you preach really good sermons, uh, you'll grow your church. And yeah. that your theology professor says, if you just have really solid biblical theology, God will bless and yeah. your church will grow. Well, you know, I think so often many Christian schools, whether it's seminary or whatever, uh, they all they I feel like they also um, assume your relationship uh, to God and they assume that that's in a place that it should be. And I think oftentimes people coming into seminary actually don't have their relationship with, yeah. with Christ in order. And then they they so they cling on to these methodologies that yeah. they learn and say, well, I'm I'm doing the steps, you know, one through ten, but I'm not seeing the fruit and, yeah, and, and neglecting the most important part. So yeah, when they when they hit a wall and all of a sudden just preaching those exegetically uh, crafted sermons aren't working, they they don't know where to turn. They, it's like that's all. It's the only bullets I've got, and I've shot all my bullets, and it's not changing anything. Yeah. But they but they don't know how to go to God and say, so then God, what do I need to adapt? What do I need to change? How do I solve this problem? And essentially I, I find so many of the churches today that are plateaued uh, or declining. It's because there's a problem that, that the leadership has not been able to solve. They've not been able to overcome them. If they could just adapt to this changing circumstance, if they could address the problem that, that is eating their lunch, then the church could keep growing. But, uh, yeah. But instead, what a lot of leaders do is when what's working, what, what they've always done isn't working anymore, they just try harder. They yeah. just work harder. And or I'd they say, double down. Yeah, think, and it's like, well, if, if it doesn't work now, doing it twice as much isn't <laughs> going to make it any better. But, but that's, uh, unfortunately, especially in the church, uh, that's how a lot of people are leading today. It's, they're, they're, they're working twice as hard at methodology that doesn't work anymore mm. and uh, they're getting discouraged and and they're quitting and the churches are plateauing or declining as a result well let's take a quick break here and uh we'll finish up our our look at canoeing the mountains when we come back if you like what we're doing and would like to support our work please consider making a donation even a little bit will go a long way toward keeping this podcast going for the months and years to come to support this podcast click on the link in the show notes we are truly grateful for our wonderful community of listeners. Well, Richard, uh, you and I both know that, that, that methods can, can often lead us astray when, when we've, especially ironically, when we've seen success with our methods in the past. And um, a lot of what this book talks about is, is abandoning 
those methods uh, when they no longer serve or uh, obviously are not going to take you into the future. Um, you mentioned there's uh, five real points that, that uh, are made in this book. Can you maybe walk us through those and yeah. uh, help our listeners know uh, the, the takeaways? Yeah, and by the way, it's interesting. He says, uh, what's interesting, one thing he says is that oftentimes um, the problems we're facing today are very often the result of yesterday's solutions. Mm. <laughs> so what was a solution to a problem 10, 20 years ago is now causing us the problem. And uh, so uh, I thought that, that was insightful. But uh, but he, he he basically sums up his the, what he's going to teach in the book in five lessons, five points. And uh, the first one is, uh, number one, understanding uncharted territory. Uh, the world in front of you is nothing like the world behind you. And so uh, you got to get, you just got to accept that. And I know change can be really hard on certain people. Yeah. But uh, I've just had to learn to say, but that's that's the reality now. And now that we face COVID and we and some of the different things going on, um, wise, effective leaders just say, I didn't create the world. I didn't create the society. Uh, but that's the society that I'm tasked to, to lead in now. And so let me just get a grip on what is, what this world is like and and how am I going to lead there? So right. accept that fact that where you're leading your organization to is not the same as where you, your organization came from. And so if you're not adjusting, uh, you're going to become increasingly out of date and uh, and not, not suited anymore, irrelevant to the current situation. Number two is the, the on-the-map skill set. Uh, no one is going to follow you off the map unless they trust you on the map. And again, uh, I think a very important lesson, uh, and, and that has to do partly with track record. Uh, with uh, Lewis and Clark, uh, the first 1,500 miles, they were leading in their skill set, their experience. And so they, they led well, and they took care of their people. They were organized. They were efficient. Uh, and so after 1,500 miles, their people had learned to trust them. And then all of a sudden they hit the Rocky Mountains and they've got to change all the plans. They have to go off the map, but they have a track record now of trust. And and COVID for, really was going off the map for people. Yeah. No, no one had led in a COVID situation before. And, and so, but in that moment, everybody's looking to the leader to say, well, he's been the boss now for 10 years and never had a COVID before, but he has always looked out for our best interests. He's always done what he said. He's always been honest with us. So I think we can trust him now in this uncharted territory. And that's why it's important when you are leading in the, the, the more straightforward times, do that well because you're building up a bank of trust for when you have to go off the map. And then uh, it says leading off, the, uh, uh, leading off the map in uncharted territory, adaption is everything. And he, he spends a lot of time talking about adaptive leadership, and he, he builds a lot of that off of another leadership uh, guru called Ron Heifetz. Uh, Heifetz is, he, I, I've read some of his work. He, he's a high-level leadership thinker. If you want to read a higher-level book, um, uh, I, the one I think that impacted me the most early on was a book called uh, Leadership Without Easy Answers. And, and basically what he says is there's two main kinds of uh, problems that leaders face. One is uh, technical uh, problems. And that, and that just often means 
uh, I've got to just get better. I've got to kind of wind it up, take it to another level with technical skills I already have. So maybe you're a, maybe you're not a great public speaker, and yeah. b- but that's part of your job is giving speeches to the team. And so you d- you consciously decide this year I'm going to get a lead- a coach and I'm going to work on my my presentations, maybe use more PowerPoint, whatever. But basically, you're you're doing the same thing you've done before. You're just trying to do it better. Yeah. And he says that's kind of technical, and 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 lots of times that's what the the challenge is. Just let's find a better way to do this. Uh, but adaptive leadership is where you've got to sort of put all of that stuff you used to do aside and say that's not going to work anymore. It's not about improving things. It's not about working harder at things. It's saying we've got to completely change what we're doing. And uh, that is a very difficult kind of leadership. Yeah. Uh, most people are going to be open to you just doing something better. But when you stop doing stuff that they've done for years and you ask people to do things they've never done before, that is a high level of leadership. And so that's uh, where he, he really camps uh, in this book quite a bit is unpacking adaptive leadership and then he says, Relationship, relationships and resistance. You can't go alone, but you haven't succeeded until you survived sabotage. <laughs> and, I, and I thought that was interesting. Uh, and he, he has some interesting things to say about that. He, for instance, he says, uh, he has an interesting statement. Don't assume that your, all of your friends are also your allies. Um, and uh, that is a, I've learned that's a painful lesson because there are people that might be your friends, uh, might even be your relatives and they like you and they care about you. And you just assume that when you present, okay, we need to change this. Um, you assume that your friends at least are going to be all voting with you and on your right. side. And then it's devastating when they, they sabotage you. They don't go with you. And, and it might not even be anything personal to, uh, to them. They might still consider themselves your friend, but they just don't agree with you. And, uh, and he also says that in leadership, oftentimes you have to, he says there is no such thing in, in adaptive leadership as win-win. Uh, we're always looking for a win-win, yeah. but he says the fact is there's going to have to be loss for adapt because you're going to have to stop doing stuff that you've always done. You're going to have to, things that people already know and are good at are going to have to be released. And he said, at least in the short term, it's just going to seem to be loss. Um, And so if you're trying to find that win-win, you're never going to make adaptive changes. Sometimes you just have to say, folks, this is just going to be painful for all of us, but we have to do it. And so let's just go ahead and jump in and get it over with. Um, And uh, and so he, he has some interesting things to say about that. And he says, you are going to have sabotage because, uh, interestingly, he says, whenever you're not leading, uh, your organization is moving back to status quo. Uh, The natural gravitational pull is to go back to what you've always done. And so just stop leading. It's just like stop paddling in your canoe. And before long, your canoe is going to be going with the flow. Uh, And the flow always moves back to the status quo, what's always been done. Um, and, but, but to lead means you're, we're, we're moving out of there. We're not going to go there anymore. And then last one is transformation. Everybody will be changed, especially the leader. And he, he has an interesting, um, definition of leadership. It'd be good just to put out there. He says, uh, leadership is energizing a community of people toward their own transformation. 
in order to accomplish a shared mission in the face of a changing world. And he's, he's packed that definition. Yeah, there's a lot uh, there. But basically, he says, you, you begin uh, as a leader by changing your own people, your own organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you, and what you're doing is you're trying to get them in a place where they can uh, uh, embrace the mission, they can accomplish the mission, uh, but it's but you're doing that in the face of a world that's changing, and so that's why leadership is challenging because you're not even quite sure what the world's going to end up changing to be like. It's yeah. it's still changing at this point, and certainly COVID is is that we we don't know the end of the, that story yet. We don't we don't know how that's going to affect you know, like airlines. You know, you've got airlines in major businesses at the brink or filing for bankruptcy. Uh, we don't know like what it will be like to eat in a restaurant going forward. I mean, things yeah. we've just taken for granted. Just speaking in a meeting with a couple of thousand people in a in a, uh, a convention center room. Um, what, what will that look like in the future? You yeah. know, do you have to? We have to sterilize every chair and table at every break time, or you know, there, there's lots of. We don't know what the world's going to be like yet, but. But as leaders, you've got to take your organization and say, but are we adapting to that so that we're ready to respond? And, and essentially what I think is going to happen with COVID and, and uh, some of these kinds of major issues we're facing right now is that some organizations are going to adapt. They're going to, uh, they're going to, they're going to figure things out. And uh, w- once things kind of settle, at least for a time, into what's the, more, the new normal, uh, there'll be some organizations that have adapted and adjusted and gotten leaner, whatever they've needed to do, and they're going to just leapfrog over the competition. Yeah. Uh, there'll be the churches that g- begin growing rapidly, and there'll be others that just didn't adapt, wouldn't adapt, wouldn't pay the price, and uh, they'll just continue to decline and become increasingly irrelevant. And uh, so, you know, one one last thing that he says I think is so true is that you know, there's a difference between kind of uh, personal leadership and even maybe leadership of, of people and then leadership of organizations. Mm. And most leaders are not taught how to lead organizations. And he would say uh, organizations have a DNA. Uh, they, they're wired uh, to respond in a certain way. They're wired to value certain things. They're, they're wired to deal with conflict a certain way. And, uh, and so if you, if you come in and you're trying to change an organization, many, uh, certainly pastors have found this. You think, well, let's come into this. This church says they love Jesus and they believe the Bible and they embrace the Great Commission. I mean, how hard can it be to help them adjust so that they begin reaching their community? And then they get fired because they tried to change an order of, of worship service or something. Yeah. And they realize, well, w- well, wait a minute here. Like, w- why, why all this resistance? And what the problem is that we've never been taught to identify an organizational DNA mm. and, then to, and then to understand how do you change that? How do you change a culture? And ultimately, yeah. good leaders change cultures. They don't just... They don't put out memos. They don't just declare we're going to stop doing this. They change the whole culture so that people in time value the very same things that you're doing, and they they embrace the mission, and they're willing to pay any price to get there. And so there's a lot in this book, yeah. but I think it's very relevant to uh, where we're at right now. Definitely. Um, it's, it's not just about doing the same things 
better than you've done before. Uh, we're in a, we, we're in a day where we've got to adapt. And, uh, so I, I, I'd recommend this book highly, especially for church leaders, uh, that he was a pastor. He kind of writes out of that context of mm-hmm. trying to change churches. Uh, and, uh, he, and he has a great discussion where he had to change his own church at one point and the worship attendance was declining. And he has an interesting study about that, uh, because immediately people assume, well, let's just jazz up the worship service. Let's, uh, let's just add this, or let's contemporize the music more. Let's have a, a more, uh, captivating sermon series or something. And, uh, and as he kind of unpacks what he had to do, it, he, he, he kind of helps you understand how to take a really hard, deep look at the situation. And ultimately what he discovers is that declining attendance was not the problem. It was a symptom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, he, the first answers that people had were all just chasing after symptoms and they had to go a lot deeper, a lot harder, uh, to finally address the actual problem. And uh, I think that's what's happening a lot in leadership today. We're chasing symptoms, right. but we're not doing the long, hard, painful work of getting down to root causes and then adapting ourselves so that we can address and overcome those. Well, just this book is just packed with good stuff, and I, I think we could spend probably another whole podcast on it, and mm-hmm. especially even just letting go of methodology that, that was successful but isn't going to take you uh, into the future. Uh, I love, I love that aspect of it. And we'll leave links, uh, to this in the show notes as we always do. And uh, again, the book is canoeing the mountains and, uh, definitely encourage you to pick up your copy. Let us know what you thought of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, let us know as well. Um, uh, leave us a, a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That always helps us. We, we appreciate it. And yeah. until next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.